we'll get back in a series soon. I like that because I know where I'm going next. But uh, uh, we've just been jumping around a little bit. Tonight I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3. And we're going to look at a biography of the entire human race. Okay? Because everybody you meet falls into one of these categories. So let's read uh, from chapter 2. I'm, I, I said we'll begin in verse 6, but we're actually going to begin uh, in verse 1. And then let's read down through verse 8 of chapter 3. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. A couple of weeks ago, out of John 16, remember, we were talking about the ministry of the Spirit. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is any 
anything but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. You know, people characterize one another all the time in different ways. We make characterizations based on looks, for example. We say somebody is fat, or although you probably shouldn't say that. Somebody's fat or skinny or ugly or pretty. Uh, we make characterizations based on wealth. So-and-so is rich or, or poor. We make characterizations based on work. We might say they're a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker. We even make characterizations based on politics, don't we? Boy, we've seen that one. Uh, on and on we could go with the different ways that we characterize people. Well, spiritually speaking, there's only three characterizations or categories that we can lump people into, and the whole human race falls into one of these categories. Different people fall into different ones. Um, but the whole human race at large falls into these three categories. And so that says something to us, doesn't it? The passage that we look at tonight is about you, and it's about about each of us. Everybody in here tonight is spoken of somewhere in these verses this evening. Uh, for example, there are the lost, or whom Paul refers to as the natural man. Then, then there's the saved, and those who are growing in the Lord, saved and growing, that's the spiritual man. And finally, Paul talks about carnal believers here, believers who are saved, but they're still very immature and fleshly. And so again, everybody falls into one of these categories. Now I want you to understand something. We're not always good ourselves at determining this. And so be very careful about judging people according to these categories. Because we don't see as God sees. And I'm convinced there's going to be some pretty big surprises on the day of judgment. You know? So my point tonight is not that we would begin putting labels on everybody. It's simply so that we'll understand clearly that when we talk about people, their, their spiritual life, not everybody's the same. Not everybody's at the same place. You know, in, in the world sometimes people want to lump everybody into one category. We're not the same. We're not even the same spiritually speaking in the church. But I think what this passage ought to do is make us think about where God wants us. Because God's desire is to conform us to the image of His Son, Christ. God's desire is that we would all be growing, that we would be spiritually mature. It's God's plan to take His Word, and through His Word, His Spirit takes His Word and conforms us day by day. His word, life circumstances, God uses all of that to grow us. Now, to really understand these chapters here that, that I've read tonight, you would really have to go back into chapter 1. Because Paul has been contrasting the wisdom of the world with God's wisdom. 
The cross of Christ as the only means of salvation is God's wisdom and God's power at work. Lost people in the world want to philosophize and talk about other things. But Paul says that's foolishness. If you want to see wisdom, you need to understand the wisdom of God, the simplicity of the message of the cross. So whereas some people might have looked at the cross as defeat, God looks at it as victory because it was through the cross that he was and is reconciling men and women to himself. And so if the cross expresses the wisdom and the power of God, then the preaching of the cross expresses wisdom. Again, men want to debate. Men want to philosophize. Just get a bunch of people together and throw out a question and you'll see it becomes amateur hour of philosophy, doesn't it? That's the wisdom of men. In chapter 1, Paul says that men will never reach God that way. Think about that. The ways that men choose on their own to get to God the destination will not be that you arrive at God. Again, that's man's wisdom. And men like to boast in man's wisdom. But Paul says if there's any boasting, we're only boasting in the cross of Christ because, again, that's the wisdom of God on display. And that's sort of a summary of chapter 1. And so when you get into chapter 2, Paul tells the Corinthians that when he came to them, he determined not to come to them with man's wisdom. He came to them with a simple message of the cross. And so he's making a very logical argument in these chapters. Why would he come to them in human wisdom when he's just said that human wisdom will not get us saved. So again, he's laying out a very structured, very logical argument. And that takes us all the way down to verse 6, where he says, Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. Somebody may conclude that if God saves if God saves through the simplicity of the gospel, then somehow or another, the gospel must be simplistic. It must be void of wisdom. And to that, Paul would say absolutely not. The simplicity of the gospel is packed with the wisdom of God. Again, a wisdom far greater than anything man possesses. But again, to understand this, you've got to be the right kind of You've got to be a spiritually minded person. It's sort of like that parable Jesus told about the different kinds of soil, the different soils. The hard path where the seed is sown but it does no good whatsoever. The lost person. And then you know there's the shallow and then the seed, the seed falling in the ground with weeds and thorns and then the good soil that produces a crop. So, again, people are different. Well, the first thing I want you to see tonight, Paul is describing here the spiritual man. In 
in verses 6 to 13. The spiritual man is the man who has come to faith in Christ and he or she is living under the lordship of Christ. The spiritual man understands the gospel as being wisdom from God. The things of God are a mystery to the world. And Paul points out here that even the rulers of this age don't understand this because had they understood the wisdom of God, then they wouldn't have done what they did, and that was to crucify Jesus. Think about it. There was Pilate. There were the Jewish leaders, wise in their estimation, and they missed it. Even the people around the foot of the cross saying, he saved others, let him come down from the cross and save himself. They all had a veil over their eyes. But the spiritual man understands this. How? Because as verse 10 says, God reveals his precious things to us. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Folks, as we covered a couple of weeks ago, Christians have the Spirit. The Spirit comforts, yes, but He reveals, He teaches he teaches us. The Holy Spirit opens our understanding to the Word of God and the things of God. And every believer from the moment of their conversion, Ephesians 1.13 says, are sealed with the Spirit. Remember Jesus saying, and I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. That's what he's talking about here. And the, the spiritual man understands this. The spiritual man is discerning, again, because God has revealed these things to him and he's accepted it. If we are to know the mind and the heart of God, that means that we must rely on the Holy Spirit's ministry to reveal these things to us. And Paul makes an analogy here with the spirit of a man. The spirit of a man. Your spirit knows you because it's your spirit. 
We understand what it means when somebody puts their finger in a flame, for example, and burn because we know what it is to be burned because we're flesh, we're human. And likewise, we understand what it is to have a deep emotional hurt way down deep inside because we've all experienced that at some time or another. The human spirit understands humanity and the trials and the experiences of humanity. Well, Paul's making an analogy. In the same way, the Spirit of God knows God because he's God's Spirit. Pretty simple to understand, right? And God's Spirit who knows God and understands the heart and mind of God because he's God's Spirit... He's the one who reveals God to us. And again, Paul is saying, it's the Christian, the spiritual man, who's able to see and understands this. The man, for example, who is not a Christian... That person may read his Bible and say, I cannot make heads or tails out of this book. I have no idea what this book is talking about. The reason is because the Bible speaks of things that are revealed of by the Spirit. And so Paul says in verse 9, I has not seen, and what he's talking about here is the fleshly eye of man. Ear has not heard the fleshly ear of man, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the fleshly heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We look at that verse a lot of times thinking about heaven, don't we? How great heaven's going to be because eye has not seen, ear has not heard but that's not what Paul is talking about. He's, again, making a contrast between the saved and the lost. And how when it comes to the saved man, the spiritual man, God has revealed to him the things that God has prepared for those who are his children. Though, again, by means of the flesh, we can't understand the things of God. But even now as Christians, we can see, we can hear, we can know in our hearts the things that God has prepared. We can see glimpses of the consummation of our salvation even though we've not experienced that yet. How? Because God has revealed these things to us through His Spirit. Because of that also, the spiritual man judges all things. Those who are spiritual, verse 15 says, discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now obviously, the lost man can recognize a Christian's faults and shortcomings, but they're not able to evaluate their true nature as spiritual people who have been transformed 
in the children of God. On the other hand, the saved man can now render a true verdict about himself and the world. He's able to judge and discern things in light of eternity. How is he able to do that? Because Paul says here, not only does he have the Spirit of God, but what else does he have? He has the mind of Christ. That's why Paul was so disappointed with the Corinthians in chapter 5. Because even though he knew they knew all this, he knew they had been transformed and had the Spirit of God revealing spiritual things to them, and they had the mind of Christ teaching them, yet they were not even judging an immoral brother that they should have dealt with. They're letting that sort of thing go on unchecked as though they were men of the world who didn't have the mind of Christ. They should have known better. So again, he's pointing out here that spiritual men are able to be saved and know what they know and because God's revealed these things to us through His Spirit and we have the mind of Christ. So you understand the argument that he's setting up here. Well, he then moves to talk about the natural man. Look at verse 14. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You know, if we were to think back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us God created the beast of the field and then he created the man and the woman and the man and the woman were created in the image of God and that set them apart from the rest of creation. But there's something else that set Adam and Eve apart from creation. What did God do? He breathed his spirit. He breathed his breath into Adam and Adam became what? A living soul. Somebody who is able to have communion with God. So man is not just flesh. Man has a flesh nature but he also has a spiritual nature. He has a soul. Now, theologians are divided on that some believe in trichotomy. And let me explain that. It's not difficult. They believe man is body, soul, and spirit. The dichotomist believes that soul and spirit are used interchangeably. So man has two natures, dichotomy, Flesh and soul. Soul and spirit being one. And in the evangelical conservative community, there's strong examples of people believing both. That's not an essential thing. Some are trichotomists, some are, are dichotomists. Uh, but the point is, 
The point is, Christians believe that man is more than just flesh. <clears throat> and we see something deeply wrong with the lost man. With mankind in general. Because we were created to be in communion with God, but we look around and it doesn't appear like, like most people are living in communion with God. And they're not. Paul says in Ephesians 2, before coming to Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And so the natural man has potential for communion with God, but he doesn't enjoy communion with God because he's spiritually dead. The natural man without the spirit is spiritually dead. Again, simple contrast Paul's making. Spiritual man receives the things of God, receives the Spirit of God who instructs him and he has the mind of Christ, but the natural man is spiritually dead. And as such, he points out here that he does not receive the things of the Spirit. He's not open to receiving the things of the Spirit. This person may be like the rich young ruler who knew ch changes needed to be made in his life, but he was unwilling. He had such a tight grip on the things of the world and the things of the flesh that even though the things of the world and the flesh had not satisfied him, yet he wasn't willing to part with those things and follow Christ. This can also be a person who might even be antagonistic towards God and even mock God and the things of God. They might even say things like, surely all ways to God are equal. One man's religion is just as valid as another man's religion. So just live and let live. People like that would criticize us for sending missionaries around the world because they would say that people around the world don't really, they're not even in need of saving. And so they would say we're arrogant for thinking people need Jesus. That's how the natural man can be. But Paul makes an even stronger statement here about the natural man. It's not that he just doesn't receive the things of the Spirit, but what does he go on to say here? They are unable to understand them. So he points out he cannot receive the things of the Spirit. He cannot because they are spiritually discerned. He's not even wired for that type of thing yet. Why? Because again, he's spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. It's like the wires haven't even been run yet, so to speak. The breaker hadn't even been turned on. Because again, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts a person of their sin and draws people to Christ. 
And that's an experience that the natural man has not had. So he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit, and he cannot because they're spiritually discerned. God hasn't converted him. God hasn't drawn him to faith in Christ. He's not spiritually alive or spiritually awakened yet. Though he's not even able to understand the things of God to the same degree as the spiritual man. Again, you understand the contrast he's making between the saved and the lost. And the necessity of the Holy Spirit's ministry of revealing things to it, drawing us to Christ, opening our eyes and ears to God, revealing things to us and giving us the mind of Christ. But Paul's not done yet. There is such a thing as a carnal man in chapter 3. Just like Paul wept over the natural man, the lost man, Paul was also deeply burdened over the carnal man. Who's the carnal man that he's talking about here in chapter 3? It's the man who is saved. The wires have been connected. The light bulb's been turned on. He's received the Spirit. He's been converted. He's been regenerated. But he's still in love with the flesh and the world. He's immature. And that's not how we're supposed to be. Now, some people are carnal. Carnality can exist because a person may just be a brand new Christian. And in that case, you know what? They've not grown much yet. They're immature in the things of the Lord. We can't expect a brand new believer to act like somebody who's been walking with the Lord 30 or 40 years. Right? <clears throat> but what grieved Paul here was that carnality can also happen because a person refuses to grow up. And that was the issue at Corinth. Paul had spent 18 months with them. As new believers, he said he fed them milk. That was the proper thing to do with new believers. Feed them milk. Initially, you don't take a baby out for backbone ribs, do you? They can't handle that. But now, okay, he spent 18 months with them. Now five years have passed. And what's Paul saying to them now? I am still having to give you milk. And he tells them why. Because you're still carnal. You've had the opportunity to mature in your Christian faith. You've just not. Now, he's making a judgment about him here. How does he know this? Because he sees evidence of it in their lives. So what is the evidence that he sees here? 
Look at what he says. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What's Paul? What, or what's Apollos? What's Paul? We're just servants. And the Lord has assigned to each a role. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So what's Paul saying here to the Corinthians? Just because of your divisions that I see among you, because of your jealousies, your envy, your rivalry, chasing after different personalities, just the way you're acting, even though I know you're saved, you're still fleshly and carnal. You're not growing Your, your, your lives, what you're doing is, is showing that. I mean, he'll even go on in chapter 6 to talk about how believers in the church at Corinth were taking one another to court and suing one another. He said, is there nobody in the church? You can go before people in the church and let them judge who's right. He says, don't you, don't you know after all don't you know after all that believers are going to judge angels one day? Boy, now there's a thought, isn't it? He says, so rather than going to secular courts and secular judges and letting the world decide your cases, let people in the church decide who's right and who's wrong and make a judgment. He said, bottom line is, even, even if you're not going to do that, then just agree to take the loss. Don't, don't, even, don't even take your problems before the world. Just take the loss rather than lose your brother. So again, he knows they're carnal because of the way they're acting. There's so much arguing and strife and division and jealousy they're not acting like people, Christian people, ought to act. He doesn't. He's not questioning their salvation. He's questioning their growth. Paul says, "You're carnal. Face the music on that. The way you're acting condemns you as being guilty. You're behaving like mere men." You're not producing the fruit of the Spirit. And he gives, he gives the example here. Some saying, I'm of Paul. You know, you can almost hear it now, right? Somebody in the church at Corinth, I love it when Paul comes to town. He's, boy, he's such a scholar and such a great theologian. And he planted our church here at Corinth. Man, as long as he's preaching, if I find out he's going to be in town preaching, I'm going to be there. Somebody else says, mm, I like Apollos. You know, I kind of like it when Paul doesn't show up and Apollos preaches instead. 
Paul boring. He's this little man that his letters are impressive, but he's not very impressive in person. You know, I even heard that one time he preached all night and somebody fell out of the loft. <laughs> but Apollos, man, he's this orator. Mm, I could listen to him all day. I'm of Apollos. You know, in chapter 1, he even talks about some saying, he adds Peter to that list too, doesn't he? I'm of Cephas. That group might have been saying, you know, after all, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. When Peter confessed Christ at Caesarea Philippi, Peter's the lead leader of the apostles. Man, I, I'm of the Cephas group. Says, what are y'all doing? What in the world are you doing? You're acting like men in the world who chase after different personalities or celebrities or something. Do you not understand? He says, in the church, it's it's God who gives the increase and the growth. He calls different people to have different roles in the church. Some plant, some water. It's God who gives the increase. We're all just servants with different roles, different gifts. The focus is not on us. The glory goes to God. So he's, he's telling them, you need to wake up to these things. Quit acting like you're acting. So again, three categories. Three categories. The spiritual man who receives the things of the Spirit. The Spirit reveals them. He receives them. He learns. He has the mind of Christ. The natural man who has not received Christ yet and the things of the Spirit. He's not even able to receive the things of God yet. Because he's not been drawn to faith in Christ. He's spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. And then the carnal person, the Christian who just won't grow up. And that, again, that was the problem at Corinth. They were dividing over spiritual gifts. They were not judging sin in their camp. They're taking one another to court. They're chasing after personalities. They're arguing and fighting and dividing over. They're saved, but they're still acting like children in the world. And basically, in Corinthians, he's going to say, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. And be mature men and women in Christ. It's not that you can't be. You're just not. Because you haven't sought the Lord. You haven't been in His Word. Because His Holy Spirit teaches you the things of God through the Word of God. So again, there's people around, people today that we meet around us that are lost. And what do we need to do with them? Present the gospel to them. And pray that as we present the gospel to them, 
the Holy Spirit will do what only the Holy Spirit can do, and that's open their eyes to what we're telling them. You know, you and I might could, I don't know, you might could talk somebody into making a decision to turn to Christ, but they might just be doing that to get you to shut up and get you to move on, you know? If they're going to be converted, the Holy Spirit's got to open their eyes, take the veil off, draw them to faith in Christ. Jesus talked about that in John 6, didn't he? The role of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and draw somebody to Christ. So we share the gospel. That's our responsibility. And God has promised to bless that. And not everybody will listen. Holy Spirit will draw some to faith in Christ. That's the challenge with the lost person and what we're to do. You might be in that category. You're saved and you're growing. You're not perfect. None of us are until we see Jesus. But you're growing in the Lord. You're growing in the Word of God. and Your life is displaying the fruit of the Spirit and you're displaying the mind of Christ. You're, you're growing. You're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and progressing. Well done. Keep on keeping on. Sadly, there are many in the church that are carnal. Saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. But they're not focused on the things of Christ. They're not growing. They're not, they're not advancing in spiritual maturity. They might have been a Christian 40 years and still they act like children. Have you ever met anybody like that? Sure you have. We all have. What do they need to do? They need to recognize that they've not grown and matured. And get busy. It's never too late. It's never too late. I want you to understand that everybody in the world falls into these categories here. Everybody. Again, we're not all the same. If you're a Christian, God wants you, God wants me becoming more and more like Jesus every day. It's a lifelong thing to follow Christ. A lifelong thing. The Christian life has a beginning, absolutely. You say, yeah, I remember 15 years ago, I remember 30 years ago when I came to Christ, absolutely. Has a beginning. Maybe you remember the exact time. Maybe you don't. But but you do remember the general framework of time. But maybe you're not following Christ since then. And you, you just think in terms of looking back. Oh yeah, I remember when I was 11 years old and I was saved. But the spiritually minded person is wanting to continue to grow day by day. Their Christianity is a present tense Christianity. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Following Christ. They're not just thinking in terms of their Christian life. Oh yeah, I took care of that way back then. They're growing. 
And that's the challenge for each of us. Any questions? Any comments? Before we go to the Lord in prayer. I was thinking of uh, fellows like uh, you know David Livingston, mm -hmm. Eric Little, sure. Hudson Taylor, Buddy Moon. There's people with carnal people. I mean, unsafe people would think these people are nuts. <laughs> you know, they said, and yet, yet God used them, and they were going by the Spirit. That's why they couldn't figure out why you're doing this. Uh, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what they said. They can't know what we just said. They can't know why they were doing it. You know? And then uh, what you were saying about um, judging other people. Up north we had new neighbors. And it's a, uh, so the new neighbors, we met the new neighbors. And uh, they were tattooed from head to toe. <laughs> head to toe, the husband and wife. And I'm thinking, uh, saying, oh boy, <laughs> I don't know who's moving next door. I said, oh wow, they turned out to be strong Christian people. So you can't, <laughs> uh, somebody, in, uh, I, you know, <laughs> it seemed, they were easy to judge, but I judged wrongly. Sure. I judged wrongly. Sure. And that's the danger, because we can't see the heart. Uh, to follow up on that, you know, uh, believe it or not, back in the 1940s when my dad graduated from Duke, each graduate received a copy of the scriptures. Hmm. Now that blow you away now. This sure. is the difference between 1942 and now. But the thing is that uh, when I started getting the feelings of God calling me, about age 19 when I got say the thing that uh, I years previous to that I couldn't make heads or tails out of that book of scripture once in a while well, I was curious enough to look at it but he turns on what he needs to before you're saved to make it make a sense sure. to follow him and to follow what he is telling you and all of a sudden it started making a lot of sense. And at that time I was being witnessed to by somebody. And, you know, so I was kind of driven into it to uh, find out what's going on. And when I did that, things just started to flow rapidly. This leads into what Oswald Chambers seems to hammer on all the time in his devotional. My utmost for his highest. Because he says, in fact, this would have saved me burnout in the 80s when, you know, I couldn't say no. And I wound up on 12 committees and a deacon and every other thing in the world, you know, and it had to stop. That would not have happened if I had listened because all he wants from us is us. He does not want us choosing. He does not want us taking and, and uh, if there's an unfulfilled position in church or something, grabbing a hold of it and saying, okay, because you're not depending upon God. 
He wants your dependence on Him, and if you will throw yourself 100% that direction, He will then guide you into what you need to do and will be of the greatest service to Him. In fact, God often is insulted and disappointed in very active church people because they're not listening to Him and doing what He wants them to do. They're thinking about what they've got to do in, in their own minds. It's almost like people have to work for their salvation. Kind of like Catholics or something. But then when you really realize what's going on, no, you don't have to do that. And it will go and it will give you a relationship between God and yourself that just absolutely is tight enough you're comfortable with what you're doing. You don't have to overcome anything because God always equips us with what we'll need to do, what He wants us to do. And I am just, I really feel bad over how many years I've been a believer and I just never let that lesson sink in. Now Paul says in Romans 12, if we'll surrender ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice and not conform to the world and be renewed in our minds, saturating our minds and hearts with God's Word, then we'll be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. But it's the surrender and renewing the mind and a lot of times we want to mess up the order. People want God to give them a roadmap of the next 100 years of their life. And he says as you surrender, and renew your mind, and turn away from the world, then you'll be able to know what God's will is day by day. So, yeah. We mess those processes up quite a bit, don't we? Okay, anybody else? Um, something that kind of felt like it was important to me mm -hmm. through this lesson was um, the reason why he's pointing out that there are differences. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, it just seems like the carnal person, uh, you were saying that the... Um, that the, the first person, the saved and growing person, that they're close with the Spirit, and the Spirit is true. And those people are easier to uh, recognize the natural person and, and better able to share with them. And that's mm -hmm. our purpose, is the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, it, it seemed like, you know, when he was talking about the division within the church and he, and that you know, one person does this, one person does this, and then God brings everybody together, that our big picture needs to be to learn to represent Christ so that we can bring people to Christ Amen. and recognize that. So we can be salt and light in the world. We be a witness of Christ. Would you leave us tonight at our prayer time?
being present this evening. We're so thankful, God, for the watch care for all the many blessings you bestow on us every day. And we want to lift those up tonight, Lord, that are facing things ahead. We want to lift up uh, Dennis as he faces surgery Friday. Sounds like a pretty serious surgery, Lord. And I pray that you would guide the doctor's hands as they operate in this very delicate area. I pray, Lord, that his artery would be strong enough that they would not have to go to another part of his body to get a vein or an artery or whatever they would need to clear up the blockages there. I pray that you would make it strong. You would give Lori strength. Lord, we pray that you would meet every need they have, both his medical needs right now and as well as other needs that they might have, Lord. Help us to be your hands and feet uh, to them, God. We lift up Brenda. Uh, we pray that her recovery is quick and fast. And pray, Lord, that she'll do her exercises and move, even if it hurts a little bit. But I pray that you'll make her strong and that she'll realize that once she goes through this recovery period, how much better she will feel. I want to pray for Susan Ressler tonight, God. <coughs> she went out this past year. I can't imagine what it's been like for them being so isolated and Susan's uh, uh, breathing, uh, her lungs, and all being so delicate, God. I pray that now as she's trying to get over pneumonia and everything else, God, that you would once again please heal her body, God. Make her strong. She wants to be back in church so badly and so sad. They miss it so much, God. But until we get past some of this COVID stuff and get her all well again, it's not going to be possible. But I pray, Lord, that, that if it could be your will, that that would be the end goal, that she would be strong again, home for her family, enjoying her beautiful family, and that they would be able to come back to church and, and worship with us. Pray for Susan Wright, God, that it seems like the doctors are doing their thing and the fluid's gone pretty much from her heart and lungs, and she's breathing much better today. Um, we don't know any answers, God, as to what caused that to happen, but, but you know, Lord, and I pray that whatever the reason that that happened to Susan, that you could show the doctors and Susan what she needs to do so that that would not happen in the future, whether it's diet or, or lack of exercise or whatever it is, God, you know. And I pray that you would reveal that to the doctors. Thank you, God, tonight for Rick and Debbie's willingness to move in with Susan to help take care of her. I know, God, that that's going to give her so much peace of mind. She's been struggling so much with her grief as well as being there alone, God. And I, I just thank you that she has a daughter and son-in-law that love her that much that they would just change their lives, God, and move in with her and take care of her. Pray that she would, in fact, get to come home tomorrow back, back to her house and that things would settle down for her a little bit. I pray that you would fill the void in her heart, God, that it's left there because uh, of Frank's passing. But God, you know all about that. I pray that you would just fill her lonely hours, God, with your presence. I pray also tonight, Lord, uh, for Lynn Brand, uh, her birthday coming up. She's got a lot of physical problems, Lord, but I pray that you would help her not to be in pain as she lives from day to day, God, that whatever day she has left, God, I pray that they would be good days for her, good days spent with Mary Ann and with Rodney, and that uh, she would just, just have good times, Lord. Give her peace and 
and give her joy even in these days, even if she's 95 years old, Lord. We all need peace. We all need joy. And I pray that it could be your will that you would, would grant her those things. I pray tonight for Chuck, God, and all the things happening in his life, all the, the new nurses and uh, physical therapists and all these changes that are happening in, in he and Sharon's life. I pray, God, that you would give Sharon and Chuck guidance, that you would give them knowledge and wisdom as to exactly how they need to go for Chuck's treatment. I thank you, God, that Chuck is realizing that he does need some help that Sharon's not able to do for him all the things that she's done all these years. I thank you for his willingness, Lord, to accept the change that's happening in his life. I pray that all these things that are happening uh, would, would just be for his benefit. I thank you so much, God, that he got the trilogy machine. What a blessing. Now tonight, God, you'll get much better rest and share a little too, knowing that he has that machine that will help him breathe through the night. There's just so many things, uh, so many people here in our family, our church family, that uh, people are going through so much right now. And I, I know, God, that you know all about it. And I pray that you would help us to be what you would have us to be, that we would be that good Samaritan to all these people. And God, the world right now is so messed up because of loneliness and isolation. And we've got the answer, God. We've got it right here in your word, your Holy Spirit, your presence. I pray that we would be bold in our witness and that would you would help us to lay aside our thoughts of inconvenience or I'm too tired or let somebody else do it or there. That way it's because it's their own fault. I help us get all these things out of our mind, but help us just to focus on that person. Show us the need that they have, God, and then show us how we can help you fulfill that need. We just thank you, God, for every opportunity that you put before us. Open our eyes, God. Help us not to be that carnal Christian, the one that's in love with the world. The world's got nothing to offer. The world is a total God, if we know that our happiness depends on the world, we're in a terrible, terrible way. But open our eyes, God. You told us we live in heavenly places. Help us to realize that every day and to truly live in those heavenly places, not down in the mud and the mire of the world. Thank you, God, for everything that you do for us. And help us always, always to know that everything comes from you, even the breath in our body, God. Every breath we take. It's a gift from you, and it's an opportunity to share your love with everybody around us. And we pray, God, that we would be bold to do that. Thank you, God, in advance for all the things that I know you're going to do in the lives of all these people that are hurting that are needed right now. Help us, God, to live a life that is pleasing unto you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.